Welcome to the Influent Podcast, developing leadership, building success, and influencing society. For more resources, visit us online at influent.life. All right, here we are for our Influent Podcast, and uh, we're just going to have a blast today. I've got with me Michael Stevens, the uh, aka the Starbucks prophet. So... I don't know if you're okay with that, but not really. <laughs> and uh, and my partner in crime, Jim Mafuccio, and say hey, Jim. Hey there, I'm I'm the Starbucks consumer. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, so I've just written this new book called Kingdom Horizon, and I'm just so pumped about this. I, I mean, honestly, I went through a period of about three years where I just, the Lord was just discipling me. And it was like this, you know, just confronting all my paradigms. I mean, it was in the night and he was confronting all my paradigms. And I started doing research on, on um, what has changed in the earth since, since Jesus walked the planet. And I honestly completely dumbfounded by what I found. And so it sparked me to write this book. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, so far I've gotten some real good feedback on the book as just really paradigm shifting, and the the main the main focus is on is on hope for the planet, and just that there's there's a great future. We have a great future. You know, I think so many Christians we 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 really don't have this idea of a great future. Right. right? Yeah. So, or we've pushed it off until after certain events. Right. But for right, right. now, the immediate future, no, it's got to be. Everything's just getting worse and worse. And then somewhere down the road, it might get right. better. Yeah. Right. And so, so, Jim, and what's happened in the last really probably six to nine months, you've kind of been having the same <clears throat> encounter. I mean, it's just like the Lord's discipling you. And, I mean, you're like a different person almost. Yeah. It's like just your, your whole lens for all of your life is changing. Yeah. I'm, I'm going through a, a major makeover and things that were pretty pretty alive in me uh, 20 years ago, just uh, just about uh, some pretty strong teachings on the kingdom of God, focused on that for, you know, probably a three-year period, and that's all, I mean, that's all we talked about was the kingdom, you know, and all the parables about the kingdom, and and I don't know what happened, life happened in between, and that, that became very deep within me, but then the living out of life, it's, you find yourself, and it's, you're, you're not really living in the paradigm that you so strongly believe in, so about... Uh, six or nine months ago, the, the things started coming alive in me. And really, your book was a catalyst. And um, your, your book actually puts in, in, in facts and figures, which is astounding to me that nobody's thought to do this before, of really kind of confirming what we really should be expecting all along is that the kingdom's doing exactly what the Lord said it would. It's increasing. <laughs> right. It's having an effect on the earth. It's, it's having a leavening effect. And a, and a, uh, I mean, it's God came. And he lives in us. Things should be getting a lot better, right? And yeah. so, anyway, I, 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 yeah. I could go on and on and, about that, but it's yeah, this yeah. is coming alive right now. Yeah, I mean, you pointed out to me, you know, and this actually made it in the book that you know it's, it says in in uh, in uh, in one of the epistles it says that there'll be people coming in the in the latter days who having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, and it doesn't say having a form of God. But God, but denying or denying the power of God, right? The way, but denying the power of godliness. The, the <laughs> idea that godliness would have no effect—that's denying the power of godliness, right? 
Yeah. And and, and, it's, and actually, it's actually working, right? Yeah. Godliness is working. Yeah, and it's actually, if you think about, I was just thinking about this on the drive over, the Great Commission. Uh, you know, Jesus said, now that all power and authority is, that he, he, he got that back and he's sitting in heaven. And he says, so therefore, my earth followers and those that are infused with my presence and spirit and have my word, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them um, and then teaching them to observe all that I've commanded, right. Torah. My, so teaching them, showing, demonstrating my ways, which really is the power of godliness. And he's like saying, trust me. When you do this and live like this, it's going to change the whole planet. Wow. That's the Great Commission. That, that, that's right. Yeah, the interesting part about it to me is that we have really self-imposed our ideals about what Jesus meant when wow. he said, go make disciples. Well, truthfully, we probably self-impose all of our ideas on most of everything that Jesus <laughs> says, rather than just taking it for what it is. And so we, where that really hit me was... I always had an idea of what it looked like to change the world as a Christian. You know, it was very missional. It was very evangelistic. It was very uh, prophesying at Starbucks, that whole ideal. Uh, but, and I used to scoff at people that said, you know, just, just live and be a Christian and love people and you'll affect those around you. And I was like, ah, that's not zealous enough for me. You know, second rate Christians, you know, you're taking the easy road. Not you really. Just be salt. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. Just, you know, just actually do what Jesus told you to do. That's, that's, you know, take it to the next level, be an overachiever. And the funny part is, is that, uh, as I've gotten older, I found that the most lasting impact I've had on people has not been from a ministry perspective, but it's been the people that I do life with on a daily basis wow. that I just serve, you know, if they need something and people that I can love and fight with, you know, that we can call each other to the carpet and I can turn around and, you know, be real with them. I remember, I'll tell this story and I'll quit talking here, but I remember there was a point when I worked at AT&T and I'd been trying to hold it together in a lot of different areas, but as a, even my persona as a Christian before people. And I had a situation at work one day, I won't get into the details of it, but I blew up in the back room. Like I lost my Jesus in the back room, <laughs> for real. And the funny part is that night... I'm talking with a guy that I'd worked with for over a year, not a Christian, had no desire to be. And I'll never forget this. He said, you know, and we're the only two in the store. He said, you know what, Michael? He said, I have more respect for you now as a Christian than I did yesterday because you allowed yourself to be real with me. And then I watched you bounce back. And that was such a groundbreaking thing for me to realize, like, I don't, this idea of what it means to go out and, like, be a Christian in the world or be evangelistic to see change. It was simply, you know, be salt and light. And that started to have impact on the people that worked around me. To I went from being a not very liked person at my job for about six months to people like sending me, we'll miss you cards and stuff when I left the wow. office. Wow. That's, that's really awesome. So you, uh, I, I gave you a copy of this book, uh, you know, a few weeks back and you, you devoured it. I mean, you kind of, yeah. you kind of chunked it right down and then sent me a couple texts, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. mind dot blown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What were your first impressions? Um, my first impressions were that it was really painful to read because <laughs> anytime you uproot, uh, anytime you uproot ideals and mentalities that have grown deep within your life and started at early points of origin in your Christian walk, um, and you begin to uproot those, you, it's it's not like you uproot them and immediately plant something just as deep in there. There's a gap. There's a void. And so I had all of these typical ideals that I now know come from a guy named Darby um, that I had grown up with about 
you know, the darkest hour of human history and just all of these things that I'm reading the book and that I was in such a conflicted state of emotion where I was going, wow, this is incredible. And I was going, wait, but I kind of want things to get bad. And then I would go, why do I want things to get bad? But there's this (laughs) roller coaster of emotion where I was really starting. I was having a response to the book that was stating facts and scripture as it was, which is really all you need to look at. And I was having a response that conflicted with views. And then I was having emotion to that response. And then I was questioning my emotion to the response of reading the facts in the scripture. And then that's, and that's where where I kind of got settled where I'm sitting here reading the book. And that was, I think that I, I texted you, I just said mind blown. Um, and so, yeah, I went through a lot of emotions, but a lot of it really had to do with, uh, just the way I perceived my generation, you know, things and, and, like and it's lines. really a negative paradigm. It, it, yeah. I mean, to summarize it, right, it's just a negative paradigm that we've kind of adopted wholesale, hook, line, and sinker, mm-hmm. and it produces it produces a hopelessness in the planet. It produces a short termness. It produces, you know, it produces. I mean, we become bad news carriers rather than good news carriers, <laughs> the, right? And, the funny, and so it's just it, it creates a different identity and a different persona for a Christian. The funny part is, is nowhere else in life, in business, family. Um, friendships, nowhere would you ever say, you know, negative, negative outlook will produce positive results. But that's what we've done in the church is we've taken a concept that applies nowhere else in the world and said, Hey, negative fear-based outlook is going to produce results in the church and growth. And it it just, it, it's short term. It's short term. Now, so, so just curious. So now a few weeks later, having seen, having your paradigm you know, shifted, what is changing in your heart? It's, uh, for me, there's a lot of hope. I was talking to my wife about this. There's a lot of hope that really sunk in because I'm reading the book and I I think any parent that has a, I don't even know what view to call it, but you know, uh, the view we're talking about, a negative paradigm of where the earth is heading and what the future, the Lord's return, any parent particularly that has small children would, in my opinion, would be lying if they said that they hoped at some level that that's not true and that their kids wouldn't have to go through that. All the like heroic ideas of Christianity, those are fine when you're 23 and zealous, but when you start having children, it, it starts to get unsettling. And so for me, as I'm reading it, I'm going, this is incredible. Like this is not to say my kids won't ever go through persecution, but so you this love is it. Hopeful. You love it for your kids, and basically yeah. giving you, a, uh, giving your kids a future, giving my kids a future, uh, building a legacy, growing out, uh, being able to think long, longer term, being able to think and not just about my kids, but in Proverbs it says a righteous man builds an inheritance for his children. Thinking about what it would mean longer term. What if, what if my great grandkids were like, oh my gosh, have you heard the stories about great grandpa Stevens? that did A, B, and C, and having this lengthy heritage in God for generations to come. Anyway. That's, that's awesome. It's it's interesting because I, I always ask, what's the fruit? And I've been asking a lot of folks, and almost almost to a person, they're, they're, they're saying, it's, I feel energized yeah. to go after my calling, to, to walk it out, to go conquer a mountain, to go build a business, to go train my kids, or... It's just, it's like I feel activated and energized. You also feel activated and energized to enjoy what you love. Yeah, 
That's awesome. So I just I'm going to walk through a couple of the chapters here. I mean, I started with chapter one, and this was the one of the main points I'm making here is that you know the early Christians who literally the ones who I mean literally the destruction of Jerusalem was on the doorstep. They're positive. They're yeah. hopeful about the future, you know, and you, they talk about the return of Jesus in these hopeful terms and eager terms. Right. And 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 so I'm thinking, where? Why are we so negative when they were not? And 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 uh, and so then I, I go through, uh, you know, you know, some of the ways that that the Lord has wants to move and the way He's moved in the past. I believe the greatest generation that's ever existed, Christian generation, that's ever existed, is the Age of Enlightenment. And the Age of Enlightenment, or the Scientific Revolution, which was really kind of one and the same, you had you had innovations in in liberty. I mean, whole new political systems were being invented. Literally, you was not it was not okay. You couldn't choose where to go to church. You right. couldn't have property that you really owned that couldn't be taken from you. There was no rule of law, freedom of speech, blah blah. None of this stuff. It didn't exist until the Age of Enlightenment thinkers said, "Let's make a new government. Let's yeah. make, come up with a new idea." John Locke was a Christian. Adam Smith in economics, you had the scientific revolution with with Copernicus and Kepler, all believers. You looked at, you know, it was a breakthrough in, in mathematics with uh, Newton and physics with Newton. And it literally in every single area of life, you know, politics, science, economics, everything, medicine, uh, there was massive, massive breakthroughs. And they was all led by Christians. They were at the forefront. And my my heart is that we would again see an age of enlightenment. But today, it's like how many of our fiery young people are saying, "I'm going to go be an eminent, eminent scientist," right? And going to take the, the going through the eight years of college you got to do and the internships, yeah. or or I'm going to really go into I'm going to be in the Senate, or I'm going to do this. We, you know, we we've basically abandoned the leadership role in the planet. And um, and left it to the secular people. Yeah, which is now we're surprised that we're being. It's increasingly secular. Come on, <laughs> you know. It's, it's a it's a it's a diabolical genius plan of the enemy right. to get us as kingdom sons to disengage from the very planet and spheres of culture, mountains of influence, whatever you want to call it. That it's our place. It's our authority. We're fully resourced to change to change the world. We're the answer for changing the world. That's right. we're who he left her to do it, and but to get us to not only retreat from that, but then the but then Jesus told us what's going to happen when you do. You're going to get it's going to get trampled underfoot by men. Then to then to point at the tramplings, as in the daily headlines, and say, "See, this is proof <laughs> that the king's coming back soon." Yeah. No, yeah. it's proof that you've you left the post, and yeah. it, Nature abhors a vacuum, yeah. and, and Satan loves a vacuum. Yeah, <laughs> it, 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 it's interesting. There was that. What's that story about the elephant? That's you know chained to the post, chained to the post, and <laughs> and and then you take the chain away, and yeah. he still doesn't move. And it's it's like the enemy has gotten us to disengage. Exactly. I mean, we're the most powerful force on the planet, salt and light. Come on, yeah, and most powerful force in the, in the planet that basically because of head issues, yeah, are are simply stalled out. Yeah, it's gotten even more interesting to me in just the last 10 years. I know whenever <clears throat> I was first kind of coming into this, uh, for a long time it was conferences. That was the big thing. You know, Christians went to conferences. And then internships sprung up. And then it was mission internships. And it's this whole conglomerate. So what's happened 
because I, I, maybe this view has been big for is, is had as much energy as it has for 20 years, but I feel like it's really gained a lot of steam in the last 10 years as well. So now you have young people. Um, and I say young, I mean, just coming out of high school that instead of getting started, whether it's school or specialty school or building a career, it's internship after internship, after right. internship, right. after internship. And the foundation of it all really comes from urgency of the hour uh, missional movement, all of these different things. And then, so by the time they get old enough to realize, holy smokes, I'm about to be 30 and broke, then they start a career. And so now they're starting much later in life. And as you said, you know, is where people who aren't, who aren't as short-sighted, non-Christians in particular, they started at 18, 19, 20 years old, building that life and that career. And so then it's no wonder that 10 years later, you have a bunch of 30-year-old Christians that are just getting started with life. And they're like, man, why are these other people who don't love Jesus so blessed? Well, they started investing in life 10 years ago. That makes me sad, buddy. Yeah. But, you know, it's the whole thing, though. If you don't, if you, if you're short sighted, you'll never set a plan to end up somewhere. Right. You know, and so most people say, oh, I never planned to end up here. Well, you never planned to end up anywhere. Um, Anyway, but I just feel like it comes from this whole like short sighted, immediate. The the, the short term mentality. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So chapter two, I then went and this was crazy. I actually decided because I'm. I'm a guy, I don't want to take other people's opinions, okay? I just don't. I'm, no. I want to verify, and I, I want to do you. research. I'm And I'm this research kind of dork, right? So, And I'm also a computer scientist and a big data analyst, so and I'm, I'm really good. I've done data analysis for decades, and yeah. so I decided to go research. Well, okay, what has happened in the earth since Jesus yeah. walked the earth? And I looked, looked through every data point that had multiple centuries, like over 100 years, and multiple geographies that really could represent the biggest picture of what's going on. And holy freaking smokes, was I blown away by what I what I discovered. And literally That's every awesome. single data point I could find showed improvement. Every single one. And in most cases, dramatic improvement. So I put these in charts, you know, because I'm kind of a chart chart dork. And, and it's mind-blowing, really, because most Christians would say, are things getting better or worse? Oh, worse. Sure. And they're supposed to. <laughs> and they're supposed to. Yeah. They're supposed to. <laughs> That's and God's plan. So so I, I put these in chapter two, just like kind of, okay, well, what if things actually aren't getting worse? Yeah. You know? And then it, then in chapter three, I go, I, it's titled, The Kingdom is Steadily Advancing. The Kingdom of God is Steadily Advancing. And I point out that the charts and shows the things that are actually improving are actually the kingdom of God. What? Yeah. Right? And, okay, so poverty is, is you know, used to be, you know, 90, 90% of the world, the population of the globe lived, in, lived in, in poverty. This is just, you know, a couple hundred years ago, 150 years ago. Today, it's 20%. Well, who cares about poverty? Well, Jesus cares massively about poverty. He's the one that said, give to the poor. He's the one that, that, that you know, 2,000 years ago, I, I don't know any philosopher, and of course, Jesus is more than that, Talking about the poor. He cares about poverty. Which, it's the kingdom of God. Does Satan care about poverty? Oh, yeah. He yeah. wants more of it. To jump in here, this was one of the most profound arguments. I don't even know if you thought about this when you wrote the book. Maybe you did. But this was one of the most profound arguments when people say, if God's real, what about the poor in the earth? Yeah. Yeah. I have this conversation with a guy at work who wants to go out to lunch with me. He's asked me some of these questions. And I can't wait to unload a statistic on him and say, <laughs> well, let me tell you. God's response was to send his son, and here's what's happened to poverty in the last 2,000 years. 
and here's right. where it's trending. Yeah. And, and, and it's that's awesome, and it's actually the kingdom of God. I mean, it is. I, I love I, that, though, Michael. That, that's that. I, I, that's that's worth stopping and thinking about because those are the kind of questions that that the Earth people are asking and Christians are asking, and it makes me think to ask that person. Well, let's turn the clock back a couple hundred years, and you might be asking me, "Well, if God's so good, what about slavery?" Yeah, for and real. Here we are. Yeah, here we are. The timeline, and, is, and we we don't even need to have that conversation yeah, for the most part. So, yeah. and, and so people who say everything's getting worse, I say, well, what about slavery? And yeah, how did that end? Yeah, you know, if Satan's Satan's really taking over everything, then explain slavery to me. The death and, the death toll you gave the death toll in the book of uh, World War Two versus the reign of um, Genghis Genghis Khan. Khan. <laughs> That's when I text you. I was like, "What?" Yeah. Oh, you know, the, the, what? On the death one. This is one of the things. Part of part of my picture on the on the uh, picture on the puzzle box mentality that that I'm in right now. But it's like um, death itself. So we know that when Jesus returns, the the final enemy is death. Jesus is going to destroy death. He already took the keys, but he's going to destroy it. Death is going to be thrown into the lake of fire when he returns. That's literally what First Corinthians 15 says. So I was thinking, like, so death is one of the enemies, right? That we're that are being put underfoot as the kingdom advances. And I was thinking about some of the charts in your book. There as an is. enemy, how's death doing on the planet? Yeah, death is getting death's butt kicked. Yeah. Now, we're not we're not going to attain to perfection you know, to destroying death finally. That that one is left for the king to do when he returns. Yeah, but we're make, we're actually making significant strides against death on the planet. Yeah, and, and now so then certainly there's Christians are going to say, oh well, that's just secular stuff, or know? it's and, science. And, and but uh, <laughs> but the point the point I'm making, yeah, just science, as if God didn't invent that. But the point I make in the book is that you know, let's say you have a you have a, a crusade and you go and a thousand people raise their hand to give their lives to Jesus, but then they go home and beat their wives. Yeah, has the kingdom of God come? Right. No, no. Yeah, okay, good. You would say no. no. I was saying right. I was, I was getting where you were going. I'm, I'm tracking and, with you. But if you have the same crusade, no one raises their hand, but they go home and stop beating their wives. Has the kingdom of God come? Yeah, it sounds like a parable I read once. Yeah. <laughs> and, and 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 the point is this: the kingdom of God comes when the power of God comes. Yes, mm-hmm. but it also comes when the ways of God come. It's the power of when, godliness. When when people adopt God's ways, when they give up greed and go to generosity when you give up selfishness and go to love when they when they give up you know um lying and go to integrity that's the kingdom of god and that doesn't come from satan it only comes from salt and light it only comes from god's ways and so i'm pointing out that all these tremendous charts and this data the earth has been massively transformed for the better yeah and you know and and it's the action it's the kingdom yeah i think our i think my I won't say our, I won't speak for other people, but I think my narrowness on that was limited to what, not what I viewed the kingdom of God as, but what I viewed, what it looked like for salvation to come to a place. And I'd have been having this dialogue for a couple of years with a couple of friends of mine that were willing to kind of tumble down the rabbit hole with me on some of this. And then I'm reading your book and I think, I don't know if you brought it up. I think it's in the book about Zacchaeus mm-hmm. where there's no prayer meeting. There's no right. confession. And Jesus looks at Zacchaeus and says, Today's salvation has come to this house. And also because it, he, we went from greedy to generous. But he hadn't even given anything away yet. Right. <laughs> he just <laughs> talked about it. He just <laughs> talked about it. Like there was, it was a heart thing. And, 
And that was uh, that was a, a big thing when I read it was just the, the idea of broadening our our concept of what it means for salvation to come to a place versus salvation to be an right. experience. And you that know, was really and I, powerful. Out, I think one of the greatest points of transformation in the globe today, the greatest points is um, John Maxwell and John Maxwell, his books. He's the number one leadership author in, in the in the in the world today. His books are in every CEO's desk. Yeah. And bookshelf, everyone, and yeah. it's you know twenty-one irrefutable laws of leadership. He's the number one leadership guy. Well, it's wholesale adopted yeah. in the business world. If you go to the business world today, you're, you guys both been in the corporate world. I promise you, they have they have you know values you know posted on the wall that basically come from his book, and it's about servant leadership. Yeah, well, where the heck did that come from? I mean, you kingdom know, in, in, integrity. It's all kingdom values. He took the Bible and he translated it, and they're wholesale adopting God's ways. Yeah, wholesale. Now they're not putting Jesus's name on it, sure, right. but they're adopting his ways. So they're doing, in, in some sense, what Zacchaeus did, right? It's like, yeah. gosh, I'm going to choose a better way, and of course it makes sense. You know, love is better than yeah. selfishness. It works better. Forgiveness is better than bitterness. Yeah, right? it just works. Everything works. Generosity is yeah. better than greed. It well, actually, it, it, it works. And better. even in a grander way, that's a great example. But I mean, if you think about even our nation, our nation is a good nation. Sorry about the. The, the, the prophets, quote-unquote, that want to call down the judgment. But our nation's a good nation. Our, our nation is, is an exemplary nation among the nations. And our governmental, our, our forming documents, our government was built on principles that are kingdom of God principles. Right. I mean, so it, it's, it's, this stuff really works in the real life. And right. are we perfect with it? Right. No, absolutely not. Was Zacchaeus? No, we don't even know if he actually right. went forward and did what he said he was going to do. But, you know, yeah, Bob, that's a... So, awesome. yeah. so, so then chapter four, I go into the system is not collapsing. And this is, you know, my own little dorkiness. I mean, I have been part of the kind of doomsday culture, I guess, for, for 20, 30 years. Hmm. And kind of my indoctrination in Christianity was kind of that way. And I got all these books and I have books on my bookshelf, you know, uh, bankruptcy 1995, you know, yeah. the, you know, time bomb 2000, you know, yeah. <laughs> and, and all these books that I still have in my bookshelf and well, the Y2K, you know, and, and I started realizing how bad these predictions have been. I mean, yeah. and they sold millions and millions of copies of book and they've all been wrong. Yeah. And so I go through some of the major doomsday, doomsday scenarios and just kind of point out, look at some facts related to what they're saying is going to happen and why it's not going to happen. And again, and I think what it's it's scaring the the, the crap out of people. You yeah. Know? And and forcing them so they're not getting jobs, they're not investing properly. I know people have lost millions in doomsday investments and and they're wasting time and it's just they're waiting for the system to 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 collapse. And in, and during and I point out there in the last, you know, 40 years Nothing has collapsed that they've said was going to collapse. Yeah. And that during that 40-year span, while everybody else, if you, you, you know, parking your, your life, putting your life on hold, the GDP of the world has doubled. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it, the gospel's been going forth. It's like, come on, guys. Let's, let's get off this, this, this fear bandwagon and into engaging in our in our productive pursuit whatever it is right yeah that was the issue in the parable of the talents the guy who right. didn't multiply was the one that had a fear-based mentality of the guy who gave right. him his talents right you know and, and that's the whole point he said in this age he made it very clear in this age do business until i come and the whole point was don't it's don't be afraid of what could come 
And the truth is the system is a lot more resilient than people think. Yeah. It's a lot more because it's human beings, right? If something's not working, you're going to quit doing it. Well, that's what happens. We all are human beings and we all adapt and wholesale adapt. And the system just works, people. It's going to, you know, I'm not saying there's no challenges ever going to come. I'm, yeah. just, I'm just saying we've had some horrendous challenges and we, we muddle through them and solve them. And, and, and that's the point I make in the book. One of the things in the book, and I actually confess I need to go back and read the chapter because I'm not keen on all of the financial language, even though I think you did a great job dumbing it down for guys like me. Um, but you said we need to just go one, one level dumber? I'm t- maybe. <laughs> Two for me. <laughs> I'm about to say, but no, I. My wife says because I'm, you know, got my nose in this book, and she says, "What do you think?" I said, "This is incredible." And I start we talking about, you know, especially with elections and stuff, all this stuff about financial state and national deficit and all this stuff is going on. And we're talking about it, and I said, "The short of this is, if I'm explaining, if I'm understanding, and I'm explaining this right, I said Bob did a really good job of dumbing this down. And if I'm reading this right." There's about 40 different things that would all have to just, to, you know, crap out at the same time in order for America to collapse. Mm-hmm. And I said, and what I'm hearing is most people are all shouting like one here, one there, one there. And they act like it's going to pull the rug out from under everything. I said, I actually feel pretty good about America right now. You know? yes. and, and she goes, really? I said, yeah, this is his. He, he put it in a way that I understand now this is the, the financial system and America's financial, you know, Stability collapsing isn't like it's not one plate. It's it's you know lots of pieces of a really Our big puzzle. Our economy is so huge. Yeah, and so resilient. So and thank so you. Diverse. You know, it's 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 just nuts. Honestly, what some people are are saying out there, and they're just honestly they're just ignorant. And, and it helped uh, it helped me tremendously uh, have a better, like I said, at a high level, have an understanding of how stable it is. So planet Earth is central to Jesus' eternal plan. I think this one's going to blow a lot of people away. I think people generally, if you say to Christians, what's going to happen? What's the future of planet Earth? Like, oh, it's going to all be a fireball or uh, Jesus is coming back or wait, how do those two work together? I I read that and had about 10 different conversations that I've had with people. And I can remember where I was sitting where we're trying to figure it out. You know? And so I I make the point that... Gosh. Gee, it says he's going to be king of all the earth. Yeah. And it's, and that, and he says he's coming back when he returns. He's coming with all of his saints and all of his angels. And so we are coming back. He is setting up shop on planet earth. Planet earth is not, is not an afterthought. It's not, it's not a temporary thing to be recycled. It's not. It, he created it. Number one, it says it's his footstool. He gave it to the sons of men. He gave it to us as stewards, and he's coming back to, to be king of it. Now, you know, there's some tears growing, right? But, but so, yeah. you know, so I think we've got this. We got to get rid of this this temporary mentality of the planet Earth. And so I kind of I kind of knock that. You know, uh, you know, it just it's just so clear to me in the scripture. And so, but again, it's just something that's not taught in our in our churches. The next one I hit is There's Hope for America. And boy, I tell you, you know, the number one bestseller, one of the top selling books of 2014 was The the Harbinger um, by Jonathan Kahn. And it's basically a book about judgment on America. And the boy, the voices, it's just almost universal. The people who say America has gone off the deep end and and is just, it's 
you know, judgment is the only thing left and there's no hope for the planet. And, and as a historian, I just can't deal with that. I mean, I'm, I've studied the times of Nero. Yeah. Okay. Oh, gosh. I mean, I've, I look at all the demographics of what's going on in China, and I'm thinking, China has, they've aborted the entire population of the United States. Wow. In abortion, five times more per capita. Yeah. Greater rate. And so why does he hate America so bad? I mean, now I don't think, I mean, you know, there's, America has done plenty of despicable things, and there's plenty of things yeah. worthy of judgment. And, and so I'm not saying we're perfect, but if you're saying it's lights out for America... You're saying bring home all the missionaries in the planet, basically, or you know, a huge number of the missionaries in the planet. Mm-hmm. They were the most generous nation on earth, the most gospel-sending nation in the earth, the most believing nation of the developed nations in the earth. Yeah. And you're saying lights out for all this, and and I just I just find it not not rational, not rational. And I have yet to find anybody who can challenge my logic. Yeah, I met. I had lunch with when this book was out. I had lunch with um, a guy who's a retail manager for a very large chain. Most people would be familiar with, and he was his wife so caught up in this that they didn't know if he was going to take a promotion to another state because of you know, this book that had come out, the Shemitah and the Harbinger and the blood yeah. moons. And I, we were having lunch and he wanted my take on some of this stuff. And I was like, take the promotion. <laughs> I was like, what are you doing? And I was like, for, and your promotions in the middle of nowhere, the country's going to collapse. It'll be the safest there. But I was so blown away that this was literally prohibiting or yeah. potentially prohibiting it, from advancing their lives. It's so insidious. It's just keeping us from, from, you know, we, we pray against our nation rather than pray right. for our nation. If we could somehow tabulate the lost productivity, just even on a secular level, because of some of this stuff. And there's just a continual, there's a continual stream of these big things that are going to happen that, that just, just keep coming. And so if you look at the promotions that never got taken, the college applications that never got filled out, because why go into a 12-year program to become a doctor, or the... You know, the businesses that never got started, right. the investments that never got made because the dollar is going to collapse. Yeah. The light if, that if never you could, got shined, the salt you, that never got salty. Yeah, if you yeah. can tabulate that somehow, yeah. we would we would all be realizing that, oh my goodness. So, yeah, America as a nation, to even equate it to the covenant that God had with Israel and put it in the same language is, is, a, is scripturally cast. Well, you know, and even this morning I was thinking about it in, in the shower and I'm thinking about... Um, you know, not a single word of Jesus spoke against, you know, um, Augustus or or in any of the epistles. Nothing spoken against Nero or Hadrian or some of these. Peter really, said to honor him. Really despicable. Not a single word of judgment against the Roman Empire who literally destroyed the nation of Israel. I mean, they attacked and invaded the nation of Israel and killed Jews. Not a word of condemnation. What? Where do we... So we, we just... Christians today are in a different mode, you know, and, and the argument is if he doesn't, if he doesn't judge Sodom and, or does just judge America, have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah, but they don't understand, but the truth is he would have spared Sodom and Gomorrah for, Gomorrah, 10, right. for 10 human beings righteous, and I'm thinking, we got, we got the prayer movement, we got the fathering movement, we've got, we've got missions, we've got, mm-hmm. there's so many fiery people, you know, that are certainly imperfect, but yeah. you know, there. And in addition to fiery, we have we have millions of just 
Christians living out godly lives and seeing the power of godliness in their workplaces and in their families. And I mean, we're, we're, there's a lot of righteousness, but we have withdrawn so much from the, from the, uh, you know, from the real world that if, if there's judgment coming, it's, and it's, it's, I don't, not, not under condemnation. We're the ones that need the spanking <laughs> as, the, as the body of Christ because we need to get back in the game. I think a lot of it stems from, it's a very uh, self-inflicted view that I know I had for a long time as a Christian where, you know, Paul even at one point says, I know nothing against myself and I don't even judge myself. And he wasn't saying that he was perfect. He was saying, I don't spend time evaluating all of my shortcomings. Yeah. And we do it as an, on an individual basis. <laughs> and so the natural byproduct is to do it as a country where we're so focused on all of the shortcomings as a country that, you know, we forget about other nations. And I text Bob as well, <laughs> text him a few times reading this book, was in this chapter because all of a sudden I'm reading it and I was like, yeah, what about China? <laughs> that, that, I'm, you know, I was, I was reading by myself in the living room and I actually said out loud, what about China? What about Russia? You know, what about this country and that country? And I start. I was like, we're not so bad. Not in a, hey, we've got our stuff together. But just in a, yeah, what about everyone else? Like, what have I been thinking that God's so focused? It's, if he's that focused on America, he's really bored. And what it is, I, I believe it's it's a lot of the Christian right is disappointed in the in the political process. Yeah. And, and and the you know the, the liberalism and the secularism that's that's crept in and there it's definitely there and it's it's increased in the last you know 20 30 years uh, secularism and i document that in the book too and and uh, but it, it's it's interesting i had a i had a dream recently and i'm not even saying this dream was god but sure. in the dream the lord was talking about the secularization of of the West and, and he said he said this in the dream. He said, Yes, the book, The Late Great Planet Earth, which is the number one best selling book in the decade of the nineteen seventies. And it's a book about heavy duty end times for, for if you haven't read it. And he said this the book, the secular the, the late great planet earth is responsible for the secularization of the West. I'm like, Wow what? In the dream I'm going I, I tilt. I, I don't. Yeah. I can't even process what you're saying. Yeah. And he said, "Yes, many young people were touched in that generation of the '60s and the '70s at universities, and many decided to stay in the academic system. Many of them decided to stay and become a part of the academic arena, except the Christians, who read the late great Planet Earth and decided instead to become missionaries." Hmm. And they, they basically, and I'm not saying it's even wrong to become missionaries or bad. Yeah, or, sure, But sure. what happened is they abandoned the academic arena. And the academic arena became increasingly secular. Yeah. And because there was no voice of Christians anymore. And so it's trained up the, you know, all the CEOs, the politicians, everything has come out of that. And it's it's just this, you know, you know so yeah, we're seeing secularization. And in the dream, the Lord was like, yeah, it's, sec- you know, like, you know. So it's a bummer, you know. Yeah. It wasn't like super worried about it. Yeah. And again, I'm not saying this is from you know, thus saith the Lord or sure. anything. But, yeah. But he wasn't worried about it. It was like it's a fad, it's a phase, yeah. you know, it's a wave, and it'll come and it'll go. It's so funny because he's sharing this. I have this like meeting scenario with a bunch of Christians in my head, where the guy at the pulpit is like. Things are horrible. Things are getting more secular. Schools are getting more secular. Hollywood's doing this. Politics are doing this. 
so let's go to Africa, you know? <laughs> and import, export some of this good stuff. Right? <laughs> Instead of saying, you know, we need teachers, we need politicians. Yeah, let's we go need, change it. Let's go, let's, let's go get in the political yeah, system let, for good. Let's go be a positive influence. Let's go become professors and yeah. become, go to Hollywood and, and make movies. And, and uh, you know, so then I hit, I hit, I kind of hit the, I go after it now full time here or full, full on chapter seven. The end of the age is not troubling. It's hurt the most. And and the and the point I make here, and this is you know, and I this is there's so many different views, and I'm not really trying to get everybody to agree with me. I just I just want hope to to come in. But I am a historian like crazy, and I have done hundreds and hundreds of hours of research and looking through through history. And I'm, so I'm gonna I'm gonna save that for the for the for the readers, but. But I I was so blown away by what I found and just correlating history to to, to scripture, mm-hmm. and then the last one, uh, or, or not the last one, but chapter eight. We have time, and we've kind of hit on this already. But it is this idea of imminence, and the idea of imminence. You know, you know, you you pointed out, Jim, that it's like Matthew twenty four, of course, is his end of the age discourse, and then Matthew twenty five. There's two parables, and both of them. The whole point of the parables is watch out for it, for this imminence. Watch out for getting yeah. getting short term thinking. The parable of the ten virgins. Right. It's, it has. We've, we've almost mm-hmm. taken what I believe was Jesus's clear lesson and made the one hundred and eighty degree opposite conclusion as to how we're supposed <laughs> to live. Because in both of those cases, the one that was on their way to the to the bridegroom on, on the timeline of history on the way to that event. Their light stopped shining. They, there wasn't fuel for that light. And we're called to be the light. They ran out of gas because they, they it was, took long Because of the delay. The, the message was there's a delay. It's going to be, you need to live in such a way that in the delay, you never the stop shining your light. And, and then the same with the parable of the talents. It's the, it's the one who said, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you haven't sown. So in other words, you're going to do what you're going to do. What's the point of me getting out there? I mean, there's a lot of different right. ways you can do The point is, no, you didn't know God. You didn't know the heart of God. You didn't know his heart for your involvement in what he's doing because when you're faithful with what he's doing and he gives you more, there's an entering into the joy. It's a father's joy for a son to be productive and to grow up in the, into the family business, if I can use that, You yeah. know, to, to have greater partnership. It's not just the <laughs> eternal rewards when we die. It's like, hey, you did great with this little project. Come do this big project with me. Now we really have fellowship, you know. Enter into the joy of watching us together change this planet. That's what that other steward yeah. missed out on. And in Luke 19, which is the Luke's version of the parable of the, of the talents, which is the parable of the Minas, he said he told them a parable because they thought he was coming back right away. And he said, a king wow. went away for a long, long time. time to receive a kingdom for himself and then to return. But he was gone for a long time. <laughs> and, yeah. and so what do you do? Well, one guy went and hid because he was terrified. And the, and, and the other guy, you know, and, and they, it was clearly a long time because they, they had this incredible rate of return. And and he expected them to go multiply. And he, he, he said, literally, do business until what? I return. Yeah. Until I return. It's like, we're, we got to get out of park. Yeah. Get our car out of park. Right. 
and get engaged. Do business. What business you do? Any whatever your business is, yeah. right? Do whatever your you business. enjoy doing, do that. Whatever thing. your business, and that includes being a missionary. It includes being starting businesses. It includes being a worker, starting yeah. families. Whatever. I'm so convinced we have we have nuked ourselves by having short term thinking where we cannot build a business. We cannot engage in long term pursuits like going to twelve years of school. And, and we've nuked ourselves by doing this. And we actually run out of gas, you know, uh, in our ability to change the planet. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just thinking about how we, I think part of, for me as a, someone who used to teach quite a bit, part of the thing I would have been scared to teach about that the most is this really messed up mentality that has no basis in anything. That if there's not some level of urgency attached to it, that somehow whoever I'm teaching is just going to run out and live like, you know, live like a wild person. But the truth is, is I'm thinking of so many people I've spoken to, parents included, you know, that got into their 40s, 50s, 60s, and they had the same mentality I did when I was, you know, 10 years ago or heck even two years ago. And as they got older and they started to realize that, you know, it didn't happen in the 10 years they thought it was going to, or the 20 years they thought it was going to, or 30. There actually started to be a little bit of, um, I'm trying to think of the right word, but regression is not the right word. Skepticism is probably a little bit better. Not about God, but about the whole end time scenario. Anyway, whereas a correct foundational teaching at the beginning saying, hey, build, grow a family, Build a legacy. Well, it, to me, that's would have that's the eradicated Matthew 25, that. the parable of yeah. the virgins. It's like they're running out of gas. They right. never yeah. brought enough oil along. And because they had a wrong paradigm from yeah. the beginning. And you know, one of my dreams, I wanna I I wanna I wanna see a whole age of enlightenment come forth. I wanna see transfer, wholesale transformation of the planet. I wanna see the the hundreds of millions and billions of Christians on the planet engage in productive life on the planet, advancing the planet, being salt and light, and we will see the earth completely changed because of the power of godliness. Absolutely. It has great power, and I want to see this, and we need to have we need to have think tanks. We're thinking of the best ways to improve the planet and are executing, you know, hundred year plans. You know what I mean? Yeah. And 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 uh, you know We've got to start thinking longer term. Yeah, Bob, I just like to comment on that because I can, I can, I can. I'm, I'm feeling you and hearing this through the lens of somebody that a lot of this information and the information in your book is brand new to, and I can hear the the the, the large phrase that yeah, but what about? <laughs> right. And the yeah, but what about is is a is a construct that is based on a certain certain end time scenarios and eschatologies, and I know we're not going to get into that here, but you know. I felt a couple months ago, I felt the Holy Spirit impressing upon me that, you know, nobody, that every picture we get of people going and standing before the Lord, not in one case does he ask them, what was your theology or what was your eschatology? But he asks them, what did you do with your life? Oh, wow. And, and that's, a, that's a pretty obvious wow. one because we thought yeah. about, I said, but here's the, here's the caveat to that. Here's, here's what came right on the tail of that. But what you believe about the time you live Determines in has what you do. massive, yeah. massive implications for how you live, and I just, I just want to go on record and say there are other very respected, very time-honored ways of looking at eschatology other than the one that is so popular today. Whether you're not talking about when the rapture comes, I'm talking about even the fact of pre-tribulate that you know post-millennialism, pre-millennialism. There, there's, there are, and I've been studying this recently, 
And I just want, I'm just going to say that there are other ways that are biblical, that are scholarly of viewing the end times, which don't look anything like what's being predominantly taught. And it seems to fit better with a picture of a kingdom that's ever. And regardless, because I'm not trying to, I'm not going to be an end times teacher, you know, but regardless, what most matters is what does it produce in you? Exactly. If it produces fear and bearing your talent and not getting enough oil, sorry. Big mistake. You are going to get a gigantic zero at the end. At the right. end, stand before the Lord. He wants us. We must have a have a paradigm that causes us to be productive and live fruitful and productive lives on earth. Right. I mean, we're all, we're satisfied about our our destiny. Right. We're going to go to heaven someday. Of course, we're coming back right. with Jesus. But we're going there. But we're not there now. We're on earth, so let's be great earthlings, right? I think I think one of the key things here to mention, too, uh, I think we're probably getting close on time, but uh, is that I just want to make sure it stays before we get off, that just as dangerous as a fear-based mentality is a fear-based mentality that looks like it's producing passionate fruit, that right. actually is immobilizing an individual from maximizing their potential in life and the gifts that God has given them in the long term. So well said. And I've been there. I was crazy passionate. I was, you know, the urgency, which all sounded good and spiritual, but really what it was, was it was a fear-based paradigm that kept me from getting into a career in my early 20s that I didn't get into until my late 20s, early 30s. And really what it did is it set my career back and my income back 10 years had at the beginning. And I can tell you this with certainty today, I would have had 10 times the amount of impact had I started what I'm doing now. Wow. Then than I did later, even though I did so much ministry stuff in between. So we're out of time. So guys, should people get this book? They should get the book. I've already, I've, I've already. Somebody has my copy, and I bought a copy the same week I started reading it and sent it to someone else. So yeah, I've probably given out five to ten of them, and I'm getting, getting, we're starting to get the responses back, and you've started to get some responses. But I honestly think that we're, and there are other voices too that are that are sounding similar alarm. I believe this is this is a this really is a movement of the Holy Spirit to recover our our role on the earth. And I, I'm, yeah. you, you talked about the age of enlightenment. I just have this sense that there's there's a wave rising up mm-hmm. out there, and it's it's going to dwarf the prior one. Yeah, and I, I'm like watching people man. like you, Michael. I'm watching people that are like, it's 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 there's something internally that's saying the way we've been viewing life is wrong, and and this is kind of being this is a catalyst. It's kind of like clicking some things, and it's kind of a quick work almost. It's like mm-hmm. it's a dramatic, it's a jolting thing, but it's almost like. Wow, what were we thinking? Let's get back to it. Yeah. You said ten years. I mean, Bob and I are a little bit beyond you in years, right? So, I mean, we've seen whole generations come and go that 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 were smoking this stuff of these, these doomsday <laughs> books. I mean, there's people that checked out in 1988 because the rapture was coming in '88, and so. But I, I believe we're. I'm excited. I think we're on the verge of a major, major, major reformation. I, I, I do too, which is why I honestly believe. This is the most important book I've ever written, and I hope it goes, not because I care about my name or my minister or whatever. That's irrelevant to me. I I want to see Christians get, the, it's like get the shackles off. We're, we're freaking shackled 
you know, and we're, we're, we're just weighed down by really wrong paradigms and wrong lenses of looking at everything, always looking for the, for the doom and the problem and the issue rather than just being light. Yeah. And I really believe the earth is going to change. So, Lord, do it. Amen. Get a copy of the book. Go to influent.life and get your copy today. Thank you guys so much for being here with me today. Thank you, Bob. Thank you. Thank you.